Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Welcome to episode 133. Today, we're going to talk about constraints. Now, I was talking to Is Bex. that why you brought all these handcuffs? <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to Bex this weekend. She said the same thing. She's like, are you talking like handcuffs? Like... I'm like, no, 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 that's restraints. <laughs> Our recommendation on constraints? <laughs> no, 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 those are restraints. Oh, so oh, maybe oh. we'll do an episode on restraints in the future. But uh, <laughs> right now we're going to talk about constraints. And while we're here, before we dive into these questions, Ryan, uh, let's talk about some useful constraints in, in our life, some things that really came to mind right away as I started preparing for this episode. Our last documentary was certainly constrained, yeah, but man. it bred a particular kind of creativity. We didn't have a million-dollar budget, or I guess movies now have you know hundred million-dollar budgets. Golly. We had a zero-dollar budget during the filming. I don't know if it would have been any better if we had a hundred million-dollar budget. And one could argue it would be worse. I yeah. mean, you, if you go back, uh, David Foster Wallace wrote a great essay about Terminator Two and how it basically couldn't hold a candle to uh, Terminator 1. And he gave a really good argument why it didn't. But essentially what it came down to is James Cameron is a genius and he was constrained with that first one. He didn't have a huge budget. So he had to do certain things with lighting and atmospherics that a person with a gigantic budget to do special effects, all this other stuff, wouldn't have to do. Mm. So he made this ominous, dark movie Part of that was almost by accident or because of, not by accident, but because of the constraints. He, he worked with what he had and those constraints made the film better. And I think about our documentary when it was like, okay, we're already on the road, so we're not going to pay for all this travel. So in 2014, when we filmed this, it was like, okay, what cities are we going to? And who in those cities can we interview? Because we can't afford to fly to Egypt to interview someone. Right. We can't afford to fly to Wichita to interview someone. So what are the cities we're going to be in? Let's find the appropriate people to talk to while we are there. And we just happened to find you know, 25, 30 people, and half of which made it into the documentary. And and what I realized is like the only money we spent on, on that film... Uh, the only the only costs for the film were post production. The filming itself didn't really cost us anything because uh, we brought Matt on the road with us, and he already had the camera equipment uh, that was necessary for the filming. And so, you're right, man. Had we had a million dollars or ten million dollars, <laughs> well, what would you, we do with it? I don't know. Even if we flew to Egypt, I don't even know someone in Egypt we would have interviewed. <laughs> now, here's the thing: we may have found you stumbled across right. someone, and so the, the only thing I think we could have done better with the documentary, even though it's an outstanding documentary, uh, we could have just dove a little bit deeper into some of the environmental stuff with fast fat with fast fashion. We could have maybe dove a little bit deeper into like the architecture and, and certain pieces of the documentary that. If we had the budget for, we could have, you know, flown out and got those those bits of uh, those extra bits that might dive a little bit deeper. But two things: a, the documentary is awesome. Like I'm really proud of it. Yeah. So I'm not like sitting here saying, "Oh, I wish we did more." I'm saying, "Could we have done more?" Sure. There's always going to be something we could do better with a creation that we made, right? Right. Uh, the second thing too is that we can still dive deeper. 
we don't we don't <laughs> we didn't have to do it in that last documentary yeah. uh and we are we, we 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 are totally planning to dive a little bit deeper um with some stuff that we have planned in the future right so uh even though maybe we don't have that for that last documentary um it, it it's still okay yeah well i think you can't you can never create this infinitely dense thing where it's like i want to include everything that i've ever known and everything I could possibly talk about and also have rebuttals to every potential argument that all critics are going to have mm-hmm. and by the way it has to fit inside this nice neat 79 minute narrative that that's simply not possible and so you realize and that's another constraint having just an hour hour and a half is a particular kind of constraint there's a reason that TED talks are 18 minutes or less is because you constrain yourself to that time frame you can't talk about everything right. you have to get into the point it allows you to dive deep enough into the point that hopefully someone wants more and they, they do their own research kind of forces on you to dive deep exactly yeah and and so or if you have someone like Derek Sivers who we had on the podcast recently he has three TED talks all of which I believe are three minutes each yeah and and that's sort of the ultimate constraint where he knows I can't talk about 99.99999 percent of everything I'd like to talk about so what is the one idea I want people to walk away from this talk or this podcast or this book or this blog post with by the way the documentary we're talking about for those of you who are new for some reason um it's just called minimalism and you can find it on netflix or wherever you uh find documentaries if if uh, you haven't seen our documentary yet and uh, i think the same is is true with books i mean i we didn't have any budget for writing books mm-hmm. you and i when we wrote our second book my favorite book the thing that that we created uh, everything that remains we moved to a cabin in the middle of nowhere we talk about about constraints like all you have is time to write pretty much right the the nearby town is population 870 or 820 and 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 there's one traffic light and 3400 square miles so maybe you go grocery grocery shopping once a week or every other week sometimes yeah otherwise you you have this constraint of these four walls and the, your creativity. Mm-hmm. And so quite often the constraints that that we often get pissed off about. Why why don't I have more money, more time, more whatever? Why don't I have more, 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 more? Because sometimes that more isn't going to serve you. In fact, sometimes that more is going to get in the way of what you're trying to do, if you're, especially if you're trying to create something or do something that is meaningful. Sometimes those constraints can guide you. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's funny how I, I think about a life with no constraints. And when I, when I imagine people who I've ran into throughout my almost 37 years of existence, the people with no constraints are sometimes like the least happiest. Yeah. And and I I don't know why that is. Maybe because when you have no constraints, you expect things to be really easy. Mm. And life is not easy. It never will be easy. Well, as you say, going with the flow, and the, that sounds great for a while until you end up at some rapids without a paddle and without a plan. Mm. And then that's when you're in for a world of hurt. I mean, uh, you, I think of children. You know, they need to be constrained. Otherwise, they they run wild. We were oh. watching that video this weekend. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to go do hood rat stuff with my friends. Like the little seven year old kid driving that's his so grandma's funny. car and crashing into a bunch of stuff. That's kind of what we do, but sort of just uh, uh, in in a more adult way, or at least ostensibly adult way. Yeah, I was just, it's funny, as you were saying that, I was just thinking about it, an unconstrained child. I mean, what does an unconstrained child look like? Yes, he's driving around his grandma's car at seven years old with his friend doing hood rat things. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I'm quoting him, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> 
the the news anchor said, "Don't you realize you could have killed some people?" And he said, "Yeah, but I wanted to do hood rat stuff with my friends." <laughs> and, and and that's sort of what what we're doing right now. We're wasting our time. In fact, I'm going to do this right now. Since we when we travel, I put email and Instagram and Twitter back on my phone while we're traveling, so I don't always have to carry my computer with me. And uh, but when when uh, we're not traveling, which we're back. We, we were just in Joshua Tree this weekend working on the second documentary, which is full of all kinds of constraints. Uh, although we have fewer constraints now, although we're sort of self-imposing some constraints. Mm-hmm. So we have some opportunities to, uh, uh, instead of just going the route we went before, where we like to do stuff ourselves, to partner up with a, a major studio and do something like that. Uh, in fact, we've had several people try to talk us into going that route. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But for us, we wanted the constraint of, let's do this ourselves so that we won't have other people telling us what to do with that product. Well, it's interesting. When we were in Joshua Tree, uh, Matt, he was talking about, oh, man, maybe we could do this one scene. Uh, you know, we would have to, like, uh, you know, have a bigger budget for it. And when we were talking about it, it was like, oh, wow, like putting this one scene, renting out the space and and, and, and getting the, 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 the location ready for us to film would almost could possibly double our budget. Yeah. And for uh, a two minute scene. For a two minute scene. And the question is, is, you know, would that scene really add that much value to the documentary? Maybe, maybe not. Right. But I mean, all three of us kind of looked at each other like, wait a minute. Yeah. Like that's kind of silly. Yeah. Um, we got to like stick to the basics here. Right. Stick to what we know and throwing, you know, uh, more money at this documentary isn't necessarily what's going to make it better. Right. And so so the second documentary is called The Minimalists Less Is Now and it's around this talk. Ryan and I gave this talk 50 times last in the last year. We did a 50 city tour and we sort of refined the talk on different stages. And so we went and filmed that talk and it's, you know, 40 minutes plus that uh, was what we got it down to. And then we're building the next documentary around that talk. And that in and of itself is sort of a constraint because you're constrained to the what is already there. Like, what's the format of this thing? But then also, how do we expand beyond it? Because we don't want it to just be a 40-minute talk. Like, that would be fine. That'd be one thing. But this is also, it's a half documentary, half special. So you're you're sort of within the constraints of a format or maybe sometimes you break out outside of the restraints of the format and and you you, you go 10% farther to to create your own thing and that's where originality and and the uniqueness comes from is you use those constraints to your advantage and sometimes you're like well I need to break free of that now that that scene you're talking about recording a, a two-minute scene and doubling the budget of the film uh, would that be worth it? Probably not. But then the question becomes, given the constraints we have, if we can't af- afford to spend $30,000 on a two-minute scene, then what What do we do? Mm-hmm. Can we still do it and make it meaningful? And, and then maybe, just maybe, it becomes more meaningful because we have the constraints to, to, we have to work within these constraints. And so we have to get more creative in order for it to work. Yeah. Because sometimes what happens is people just throw money at the problem. And money won't solve your problems. It'll solve your money problems, but it's not going to solve your creativity problems. It's not going to solve your relationship problems. I know that the number one thing that couples fight about is sex and then money is second, right? Well, it's not going to solve your sex problems. It's not, gonna, it's not even going to solve your relationship problems that are masked as money problems, mm. right? Because guess what? There are plenty of people who are millionaires who still have fights about money. In fact, 
There are probably more people on average uh, as a percentage that have fights about money be- because they have excess, right? Yeah. And everyone wants a, a piece of their money. Oh, so anyway, what I'm going to do right now is add a constraint to myself. I'm going to my phone and deleting Instagram and my email and Twitter real quick. How do you delete quick. your email? What? Can you delete your email on your phone? Yeah, absolutely. Just by holding it down? Yes. Just hold it down until it submits, Ryan. Oh, my Restrain God. Restrain that email. <gasps> My mind has it. just been blown. <laughs> <clears throat> I am. So I just deleted my, my Twitter and my Instagram. Uh, I still interact on these platforms. Don't get me wrong. I just don't like having them on my phone. Now, Ryan, let's talk about why I don't like having those on my phone. Because for me, they become they, they become an easy out. They become an easy go-to. They become a pacifier for me. And they actually get in the way. They prevent me from creating. Because when, when there's a time where I'm like, oh, I should be writing this morning. Oh, I will. Let me just check Instagram. Real quick, I'll just pull out my phone and start checking. No, 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 no. Uh, for me, I in order for me to have good habits in my life, I often have to have a, my self-imposed constraints. I don't want other people necessarily putting the, the constraints on my life. That's sort of totalitarian. I'm not into that. But what I'm into is defining the limitations that work best for me. And, and quite often, I know if I'm grasping for something, I'm twitching for something is a better word. If I'm twitching for it, maybe I should remove it from my life for a period of time. In fact, once I have Twitter off my phone, I actually enjoy it a lot more because now when I go to it, I go to it with intention. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to spend half an hour replying to tweets and looking at other people's tweets and checking some articles. And it's with intention. It's not just the the constant scrolling. You know, the essay, the scrolling is the new smoking that we, we put out on, on the website. Um, that's really uh, the, the place where I've gotten with uh, a lot of my technology is I've treated it like uh, it's an impulse, right? Yeah. So it's easy to do. I've removed that. Before we get into these questions, I also wanted to talk to you about this, this cute was, little cartoon I had. I was here. wondering what that cartoon was over there. I was going to ask you, but I was like, oh, maybe it's for the added value portion. I won't ruin it. So no, in the mornings, I, I uh, generally like to write exercise and read, but I've moved a lot of my reading to uh, nighttime. Now, that way I can just do two things in the morning. I'm exercising and I'm writing. But when I'm reading, sometimes I read The New Yorker because they have uh, some good fiction in there, but also some other good journalism. And this was just one of those cartoons from The New Yorker. And it's a lady at a birthday party and she's got this big smile on her face and she's saying, thank you so much. And there's presents all over the table, birthday presents, right? Uh, there's, and she says, thank you so much. I'll keep this in my special box of things I can't throw away for fear of hurting someone's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, this episode has nothing to do with gift giving. But to me, this was like, this was the, this, we get this question all the time, a form of this question or this statement where it's yeah. like, I'm holding on to something because I'm afraid of hurting other people's feelings. Well, this, well, it could go along with our podcast because... Dude, this is uh this is an example of how this person and I used to be one of those people who would not constrain myself on mm. getting gifts. Yes. I had no constraints. So then I had a bunch of shit I didn't use. Right. <laughs> to to not offend people who gave me the gifts, but ultimately I realized like when you're honest with people, they really don't care what you they're your gifts. You can do what you want with them. Exactly. <laughs> and in a weird way, you're almost offending yourself or you're offending your sensibilities. Dude, if I gave you something and like you took it and you were like, oh, thank you so much. But then like you went home and you like you went to Bex and you're like, man, you know, I really do appreciate Ryan giving me this 
I'm holding a coaster. A, yeah, called a coaster. coaster. I mean, a, I really a appreciate, diamond encrusted coaster. I really appreciate Ryan giving me this diamond encrusted coaster, but I really am not going to use this thing. It's the only coaster I own. I'm certainly not going to just set it on my table to like if it was causing you all this stress. Right. I would feel like a jerk if you held on to it. Right. Well, and, and that's because you are. You're you're healthy with respect to underst- uh, understanding other people's needs. There are, are some people who will truly get their feelings hurt. Um, and the, here's the thing: all you can't control someone else's feelings. You can't control how someone else is going to react. Um, and and so, uh, I mean, I think this response would be hilarious. In fact, I might start using this if someone gives me a gift. Am I saying, "Oh, I'll keep this in my special box of things I can't throw away because I'm afraid of hurting other people's feelings"? <laughs> You're not not a jerk like that. (laughs) No. Well, but but you just said like if if someone isn't being considerate, maybe I'm not the one being the jerk. If someone's giving me something I've repeatedly asked them not to give me, who's the person who's being the jerk? The person who's escalating the situation. (laughs) That's also (laughs) true. But maybe the way to de-escalate something. I understand what you're saying. You know, Kafka said that uh, the only way to deal with life's most serious challenges is through jokes. And maybe if you have the right person, you can. I mean, I could say this to you, and it would be hilarious. It would be funny. Yeah, and and so um, my mama always always told me too that uh, just because it's a joke doesn't mean it doesn't hurt someone's feelings. Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> and and just because it's a joke also doesn't mean it's funny. Right. Um, but um, if you do want to hear more about gift giving, we've done a couple episodes about this. We did one called Easter, although. Uh, and it was just recently it was uh, episode 125 although it wasn't just about easter there was only one question in there about easter but we talked about gift giving and excess uh, uh, during the holidays right and another one we did was called gift giving uh, episode 38 so episode 125 is easter and episode 38 is gift giving if you want some tips and tricks and advice for gift giving we answer some questions on both of those episodes you can find those over at well wherever you get podcasts really all right, let's uh, let's dive into these questions. Cool with you? Let's do it. All right, first question is from Cheryl in Dallas. I'm 62. I'm from a small Texas town, now living in a major market city, and work in advertising and marketing. After ending a 30-year marriage and leaving a 4,500-square-foot house, I began to live on my own. I've moved about six or seven times in the last 10 years. With each move, I've gotten rid of more and more stuff. About a year ago, I sold my house and gave away almost everything I had to a nonprofit that helps women who had to leave their home suddenly due to domestic violence, and they have nothing to recreate a home for themselves and their children. Furniture, dishes, linens, decor, everything, except my grown son's stuff from their childhood. I'm now living in a one-bedroom apartment with new and minimal furniture, dishes, etc., and I kind of like it. My question is, Coming from a mindset of having plenty of room for the kids and the grandkids to come home, things for the children to inherit, plus being a woman and having jewelry and makeup and lots of shoes and all that other fun stuff, do you have advice for someone like me? Do you have stories of people of my generation and mindset as they have minimized? I'd like to have a tiny house, but those seem to be for people who don't have a lot of clothes or business clothes or makeup, and they have the athletic ability to make trips up and down a loft ladder several times a night. I'm thinking a 1,000 square feet is about as tiny as I could get by with. Well, Cheryl, first of all, I think this, and Ryan, you tell me what you think about this, but 
I think this proves that the things that used to add value to Cheryl's life, you know, she was in this 4,500 square foot house in a, a, a former life, a former season of her life with her former spouse. Those things may have added value. She may have gotten joy from them, but she walked away from them. But someone else is actually getting value from them. Now, she's found a way instead of storing them or hoarding them or putting them in the basement or trying to refill. I, mean, I think consumerism is, is a noxious gas of sorts. Like It finds a way to fill whatever space you have created for it, right? <laughs> and so if you yeah. have a 4,500-square-foot house, it, it's, uh, all this stuff has been going on with Kanye West recently. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, all the, the sure. things. So I saw the interview. The, 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 only, the most impressive thing for me is that he has this giant house and he doesn't feel compelled to fill it with a bunch of stuff. It looks uh, empty um, because I think that's the thing that may, might calm his, his, some of his, whatever's going on in his mind. It's a way for him to calm the mind. I know it certainly is for me a way to, to calm my mind, regardless of what you think of Kanye West and many of the, the rants he's been going on now. That, that thing was like, it's a, a little throwaway thought, but I, I just looked at it. I'm like, oh, like there's no, he has a massive house, but most people, they get 4,500 square foot house, 10,000 square foot house. I must fill every nook and cranny, mm. right? Because yeah. uh, I'm constrained only by the walls in my house. Yeah, I've had I've had uh, mentoring students who um, they're like, you know, I've got this big house and I've got this big empty basement, and you know, I just I've got some you know things down there uh, very similar to what to what Cheryl was describing with memories and with inheritance stuff and so forth and so on, and they're like. You know, is it okay that I have this stuff stored? And like, first off, I always say like, yeah, it's you can do whatever you want. You're an adult. It's okay to do whatever you want as long as it's not you know imposing on other people's rights. Right. Um. But but yes, yeah. First and foremost, yes, you do have permission. But but second off, let me ask you: if you didn't have that basement, would you be holding on to all that stuff? Oh no, I probably w- wouldn't be holding on to nearly as much of it. Yeah. Would you go rent a storage locker and pay for the additional space? Right. right? And I, the, the 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 line from Cheryl's message that, that stood out the most to me, Ryan, was her voice turned up. The, I could hear her smile when she's talking about she lives in the one-bedroom house now. And she goes, I kind of like it. Yeah. And that, to me, says it all, right? She's like, I've downsized. I've let go. I've moved six or seven times. I've gotten rid of almost everything, all the excess. I've let. I've set down the baggage that I once picked up, right? And she says, and you know what? I kind of like it. And But now I'm looking at how do I go even farther? How do I have more of less? <laughs> and and I, I don't see I could ever live in a tiny house. Well, you know what? You probably could. But the question isn't can you live in a tiny house? You can live on the street. You can go camping for the rest of your life. You can do a lot of things. The question, I think, is what is appropriate for your life right now? And maybe at 62... Now that you're in, in a big city in Dallas and a thousand square feet is appropriate for you. I know me and my family, we live in about 900 square feet, but it's it's a really nice place. It has everything we need. It's uh, We have a bedroom uh, and Ella has a bedroom. We have a living room. We have a small kitchen. We have a bathroom. Everything is fine for us. It works really well for us. But what's appropriate for me may not be appropriate for you. And so the question then becomes, what are the constraints that you, you can impose in your life? What, 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 where are the edges for you right now? And maybe it's just putting constraints closer to those edges so you can figure out what is truly adding value to your life and maybe what you can let go of. She talks a, she talks a little bit about being a woman and having makeup and clothes and shoes and stuff like that. 
Um, <laughs> you know, uh, this is anecdotal evidence from Mariah. Obviously, I don't have a bunch of shoes and makeup and stuff. But what I'll say is over the five years that Mariah and I have been together, she has gone out of her way to have the best curated collection that she can of the things that she she mentioned there, clothes, shoes, makeup. So so that Mariah, when she goes to her closet, when she goes to her makeup drawer, when she goes to pull out a pair of shoes, like she knows that she's going to grab something that she's absolutely in love with. So these are constraints that I, I certainly have, again, have never, I've said this a million times, I'll say it a million times again, I've never uh, asked Mariah to uh, throw any constraints on herself. But what she has realized is that when she does put constraints on herself, specifically with these items, it's much easier to make decisions when she's getting ready to go out, when yeah. when she's uh, getting ready in the mornings. But, you know, the other thing Cheryl asked for, too, was stories about uh, people maybe her age who were going through the same thing. And, dude, it made me think about, I forget what city we were in, but there was this older couple, uh, elderly couple, who... Um, uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh my God. I'm, I'm telling the end of the story first. There was a younger couple who, uh, they were talking about how they were very worried about when their parents passed away. Uh, the gentleman's fa- uh, father was, uh, close to passing away. The, 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 the woman's uh, mother or father, they were close to passing away and they felt all of this anxiety from this horde of stuff that they knew was coming down the line as soon as, uh, those people passed away. And, you know, we kind of gave our advice and, you know, told them to have a conversation with the parents and talked about, you know, when when uh, someone dies and they leave you all their stuff, it's yours now and, and they're passed away. So you can do anything you want with that. And, you know, we gave them some good ideas. I'm not going to sit here and unpack that whole answer we gave them. But what really impressed me about that event is when after that question was over, there was the older couple who the elderly couple who was like, oh, my God, like we were here to to talk to these guys about how we could let go of all the hordes of things that we're holding onto for our grandkids, the, the extra space that we have when they come over and all of these things and watching this younger couple almost like it represented to them, their kids. And it, and it gave them this huge revelation of like, Oh wow. Like seeing that younger couple air their grief to us right. about this horde of stuff that they're about to get, it helped them see what they were doing to their own children. Yeah, And I think that a lot of people in Cheryl's situation who are 65 years old and they've got all these things that, that they want to pass on down to their kids, all these these uh, trinkets and, and watches and whatever else you know people pass down, uh, they, they really need to consider how their kids feel about it. Right. So, I mean, for people in, in, in Cheryl's situation, if you're 65 years old and you don't know what to do with this stuff, ask your kids. Now, here's the thing, though. If you ask your kids, do you want me to hang on to this? They're probably just going to say yes. Hey, do you want me to hang on to this old, uh, this old yearbook? Sure. Do you want me to hang on to this? Sure. Uh, try giving this stuff away now. Yeah, because- yeah, absolutely. Because it, the thing is, if I'm, uh, I might say yes, I'm going to store it in your basement because maybe I want it someday. Mm-hmm. The, the the moral of the story there is no one wants your excess. No, no, because they might say, yes, I want you to store it. But if you say, no, okay, if you want that, I'm going to ask you to come and get it now. Let's not wait until I die. Yeah. Take this stuff now. The question is, is, are they willing to store it? Yes. Are they willing to take up some of their physical space to store the item? Because if they're not, they probably don't want that item that bad. Now, there's always exceptions to the rules, right? Of course. But but, but by and large, uh, yeah, I, I would I would encourage people to take that approach who are, who are facing the same situation as Cheryl. 
Now, Cheryl's also having a difficulty because her space isn't big enough for having a bunch of guests over now. You can't have 17 kids and, and uh, grandkids and all this other stuff. Here's, here's what I'll say to that is you can't plan for everything, Cheryl. That's why hotels and Airbnb exist. You have friends who are coming into town. They could stay at the Airbnb right up the street because it's not going to happen that much. You don't need to have uh, an abundance of excess space so you can use it three times a year. What you could do is sell all of that stuff downsize and then when people come into town you'll have enough money to pay for the airbnb that they're going to be in for a few a few nights absolutely i mean imagine if you ryan you have a you have a a two-bedroom place now imagine if you're like well i'm going to get a three-bedroom place because and i'm going to spend you however much extra it's going to cost 500 bucks a month every month for the next 12 months Mm -hmm. i'm going to spend six thousand extra dollars just in case someone wants to come over sometime Imagine what you could do with that $6,000. Maybe 500 of it is going to go toward uh, people coming to town. Mm. Maybe 1000 You just saved $5,000. You don't need all the excess space. And by the way, sometimes you can just make it work. Uh, we've got some uh, uh, family coming uh, in June, and we don't have enough space for them. So Ella is going to sleep out on the couch for a couple days, and then Bex's sister and her husband are going to be in Ella's room. And everything's going to be just fine for a few days. Now, if it's longer than a few days, then guess what? You got to find a hotel. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, we can make it work for a couple of days and Ella thinks it's an adventure anyway. Yeah, man. But, the, I, I was just, I just going to say the, the, the uh, I just want to reiterate what I was saying with, with Cheryl's situation and to any parents or grandparents out there who are holding on to a horde load of heirlooms for their, uh, for their kids or they're having extra space. Don't assume what your kids want. Like, talk to your kids about what they want. Because if you assume what your kids want, then you're going to hold on to everything. Absolutely. And guess what? They, it, they, they'll, they're going to be honest with you, especially when you're when confronted with now. Because people don't want to... They're willing to... We're all us people. We are willing to put off today's decisions to tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But if you're forced to confront it today, that's a type of constraint. Hey, I have this excess stuff and we need to deal with it today. Now, a couple options for you here. One is you can take, I'm going to get it out of my house today. So option one is you can take it. Option two is I'm going to donate it to one of these three places where someone else can get value from it, right? Or option three, help me figure out where else it should go. But it's got to leave my house today. That's the constraint or this week or this month or whatever that that constraint may be. Last thing for Cheryl, ask yourself uh, a question. What do you want to fill your life with now? I know you're talking about downsizing and minimizing, getting rid of all the stuff, and I think that's great. The question now is, what are you filling your life with? I, I think uh, the, that that aching feeling that you might be feeling right now of, oh, but what about when people want to come to town? Or what about the, the makeup and the jewelry and the da-da-da-da-da? Those are just things. What experiences are you going to fill your life with now? What are your values? So I'd love to send you a copy of our book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. It's uh, our first book. And Ryan and I wrote about once we got rid of the stuff, what do we fill our life with? We identify what were the the five foundational values for us in, in that book. And then how we reshaped our life, refocused our life around those values, how we started bringing everything that we did, matched all of our daily activities and actions and priorities around those five values. So, uh, Sean, if you could reach out to Cheryl, send her an audio book version of that. If you like our podcast, you'll really like the audio book. It's our shortest book. Uh, but also, uh, you know what? It's available on print and ebook as well. So if Cheryl would prefer one of those, please send her one of those instead. Our next question is from Derek in Indiana. 
I own an appliance repair business based out of Crown Point. I can pretty much take my business anywhere I want. Um, you know, the main thing that's holding me back from moving to a better climate and traveling the world like I want and being a minimalist like I really want to be, I have wanted to be for quite some time now, is the fact that I have split custody of my daughter and her mother lives here by where I live. Um, tried brainstorming and I come up with nothing every time. <laughs> and um, the other question was basically, um, you know, uh, minimizing on the things and minimizing on the size of a home and all that, like doing something along the lines of the tiny homes that just want to know how people do that with a kid when your kid likes having sleepovers and kids like running around. Um, and then, of course, winter being a major factor with them not being able to run around outside. It's cold as hell up here in northwest Indiana. Um, it's a lot of factors that seem to be working against minimalism and uh, seeing the world. Uh, the split custody thing, like I said, is the major thing. Uh, not being able to move abroad and um, pursue my dreams of just, you know, kind of backpacking it. Um, I got at least seven years before she's 18, and I can do that. So that's uh, that's the big obstacle there. And uh, if you could help me out here, give me some brainstorming ideas, you know, that'd be, that'd be awesome. I appreciate it. Oh, and the last thing is I have a lease that I have until August. <clears throat> and that's another thing to hold me back, so I'd have to pay 1200 a month for that. Uh, okay, thank you. So it seems to me that, that Derek is, is constrained by geography. He has temporary constraints right now. Exactly. Yeah, he has constraints that are, that are imposed on him that he has no control over. So the question that Derek is asking is, I have these constraints. Uh-huh. I have no choice of these constraints. How can I do uh, what I want to do uh, given these constraints? Yeah. And I'll tell you, man, the one thing that I made the biggest mistake of was always telling myself that my constraints prevented me from taking even one step towards what I wanted to do. Yes. Now, in, in Derek's question here, he talks about how he wants to travel more. He wants to uh, get out uh, of Indiana and, and, and live a, you know, that peripatetic. He wants to be Colin Wright. He wants to be that type of minimalist. And that's awesome. Uh, maybe he's not able to move to a new country every four months like, like Colin had. But, but right now, what he can absolutely do is he can still take a few steps towards that, that uh, vagabond lifestyle that, that he wants to live. It could be including his daughter. It could, you know, I don't know how, I'm just throwing this out there because like you and Carrie get along really well, you and your ex-wife. I don't know how how, uh, how well him and his ex-wife get along, but let's say he wants to go somewhere for a month or two months. So he waits for summer vacation and uh, he wants to plan a trip for him and his daughter. And the mother is like, oh no, you can't bring, you can't pull my daughter away for, for two months. That's crazy. I'm not going to be away from her. Well, Maybe you can invite her to come along. And maybe that's a really stupid idea. And and uh, Derek here is like laughing right now hearing this. Like, ha ha, she would never come on that. But but I'm just saying, thinking along those 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 lines, trying to find a substitute for what he wants to do, um, it's just not a complete loss here for Derek. Yeah, I, I, and also I'm going to push back on Derek's idea of constraints here that because he said something that really stuck out to me, uh, that I've been brainstorming, I came up with nothing. And and 
the the problem with that is quite often people will say I've tried I've tried everything and I still can't get past my constraints. But if I say, oh, you've really, you've tried everything? Well, yeah, man, everything. Okay, name everything. No, tell you what, just name a thousand things that you've tried. Right. Well, no, 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 I haven't tried a thousand things. That's crazy. Okay, well, 10% of that. Try, what are the hundred things you've tried? Mm-hmm. I haven't tried a hundred things to get away from my constraints. Oh, oh, uh, so you've tried how many? Well, I've tried the same three things over and over, and they haven't worked for me. That's the definition of insanity right mm-hmm. there, right? And so uh, the, the, the thing that I recognize is that that if you're going to live an unconventional life, which you are, uh, which is what you want, Derek, that if you want it enough, you'll find a way to make it happen, right? I can think of two examples right off the top. Number one is me. I When I first met Bex, I was moving to Los Angeles. The month that I met Rebecca, I was, I was getting ready to sign a lease. And then I met her. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I really like this girl. I want to see what's going to happen. So how about I give it a year or two in Montana? Although I was done with Montana. I did not want to be there anymore. It was great for that season, but I was no longer happy with that current constraint. But I'm like, yeah, let's try it out, see what happens. Well, when I met Bex, she had a one-year-old, Ella, a brand new kid, right? And um, when we met, I realized like, well, okay, and and her and her former spouse weren't on the best of terms. They weren't on the worst of terms either, but they certainly weren't on the best of terms. And so uh, I realized like, oh, moving to LA is going to be impossible. I'm brainstorming and I can't think of a single way I can make this happen. But that's silly, right? Like, if you want something bad enough, you'll figure out a way to to make it work. I didn't even realize like you literally had the same situation. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, same exact the, situ- situation. Pretty much. I mean, it wasn't. Although my constraint was seventeen years instead of seven. His daughter's eleven. Ella was one at the time. <laughs> right. 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 And I'm like, you know what? I know I'm not going to stay in Montana for the next seventeen years. So I have an option of. Uh, staying here and being not happy about that mm-hmm. or um how do i make it as as ecstatic joyous pleasurable um meaningful as possible the time i'm going to be here but also like like so that that's what you just said like okay you've got seven years maybe it's less than seven years you can take steps toward where you want to go in the meantime mm-hmm. but during those seven years what does your ideal look like life look like while you're there not yeah. perfect life yeah what does a step towards your perfect life look like exactly what does two steps towards your perfect life look like well not even perfect so so for me it's like or ideal life whatever you want to well, right yeah. so so let's not let perfect get in the way of uh Derek because I think that's that's what's happening with Derek right now. He's like, a perfect life for me would be traveling the world and da da da. Yeah, you know what? Um, I just uh, want to be clear: no one's life is ever going to be perfect. Exactly. And so, so let's not aspire toward that. Let's <laughs> aspire toward what's ideal for Derek over the next seven years, and then you start taping, taking steps toward what is ideal. And for me, it was those last two years we were in Montana after uh, being with Bex. It was over two years, uh, and uh, about two and a half years. I realized like. Okay, like I can work toward getting to LA. Now, I've brainstormed, I can't think of anything. Let's figure this out together. I've got a great support group, I've got great friends, people who are supportive. How can I make this work? And we put all kinds of options on the table. No idea is a stupid idea. Let's put them all on the table, right? Mm-hmm. And what we worked out with is certainly not, what we ended up with is certainly not perfect, but we said, okay, for the next year, here's what we're going to try. Uh, I'm going to be in California nearly full-time. Bex is going to be 50-50, Montana and California. Ella's gonna come to California once a month. I'm gonna uh, make it back to Montana. 
Atlanta once a month. That is, that's the template. Now, does it always work that way? No, sometimes there are holidays and custody things or whatever it might be, but that's the template around which we've built our life for the next year. The next year part is important. Mm. That's not how it's going to be for infinity. It's just the next year, and then we continue to reassess. Is this still working for us? Is this the best scenario? Is this the most ideal scenario given the constraints that we have? Is uh, So I, I think there's some way like we can use your situation to help Derek here. So the only difference that I see between your situation and Derek's situation is his kid is in school right now. Right. So, well, so you, is mine. Have you? Oh, she's in kindergarten. No, well, she, she's in Montessori school, which okay. is pre-kindergarten. So when pre-ca. she when she starts attending public schools, it, the attendance is required a little bit different than a Montessori school. That's true. So, um, have you guys come up with any solutions on how to keep her in school and to kind of make this? Both yes, locations work. absolutely. So for kindergarten, we, we found a school that is willing to be a bit flexible with, with her time. Awesome. Away. Yeah. And so isn't uh, that funny that just that one point though, I never would have thought of that, man. Yeah. I never would have thought of trying to find a school that's going to be a little bit more flexible with allowing kids to have time off. Yeah. Like uh, just that as an option, I think would help Derek out. I'm sorry. Continue. Well, and, and it's been, it, I, I've, along the way I have to be really appreciative of Bex because she's been willing to go out of her way to travel quite a bit uh, we so so we had to move to a smaller apartment in Montana that her and Ella are living at you know pretty much full time or Bex is there half the time right and and in order to be able to, to make it work so it was a smaller place so it, it wasn't a tiny house now Derek mentioned moving to a tiny house how do you do that with kids you know, I, I wouldn't personally do that with kids Mariah and I don't have kids and we wouldn't move to a tiny house I mean, but that's just not what we want to do exactly but if it is what you want to do you can do it yeah and I it's think, remember the family we we ran into uh bex's uh friend uh in australia mm-hmm. where we were in sydney sydney uh what was the bay we went the beach we went to uh, bondi. bondi yeah bondi beach or something it was yeah gorgeous we, we were trying to get on bondi rescue <laughs> <laughs> Josh just wanted to get mouth to mouth CPR from a sexy lifeguard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, sexy is is a perspectival term. Anyway, um, and uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna stop there. But um, we we met up with a great family, and there are six kids, mm-hmm. six kids, two parents, and they were caravanning around all of Australia mm-hmm. for the entire. Uh, year or nine months and they were at the end of that eight and a half months and talk about a constraint they're in a rv for the, nine months yeah like a uh i think an rv is almost like a tinier home yeah tinier than a tiny home right it's a <laughs> tiny home that that moves uh it's a tiny home with a steering wheel <laughs> yeah with an engine and a steering wheel right <laughs> and and so here's the thing they were some of the most cultured and well-behaved children i'd ever seen they now clearly awesome. clear that year had tested them mm-hmm. right and i think any constraints are going to test you, but quite, what do we get out of that testing? We get growth from w- when we're Amen. testing. Uh, we go through boot camp. It's a type of, of test. You know, someone in the military is going through through boot camp, and it's like that's the ultimate sort of testing, right? When you do a Navy SEAL testing, that they go through what is so rigorous, but they become they, the people who make it out to the other side, and even the people who fail that come out the other side generally a better person from the experience so is it possible heck yeah it's possible but here's the other thing what's your ideal look like life look like for the next seven years derek 
But then what does your ideal life look like once your daughter turns 18? Maybe she comes with you for a year. Maybe she has a gap year and she gets to travel with you. And until then, you've, you, you, you are, uh, and because part of the, the fun of an experience is the anticipatory experience leading up to the, the physical experience itself, the, the actual travel, the immersion, the anticipation is often just as rewarding as the immersion. In fact, that's why they recommend planning vacations well in advance. So you are, you get the joy of anticipation mm. the entire time. Absolutely. And Derek, when it comes to the, the tiny house, man, I mean, just look at what is appropriate for your life, for your daughter, and for your daughter's friends that she wants to bring over. I mean, Cheryl here, she's single, 65, 1,000 square foot is her, uh, the, the question before, uh, her, her perfect um, size of a house, she said, was 1,000 square foot. That's what she feels like is enough for her. That's awesome. Cheryl has been able to uh, discover what the, the size of her house needs to be. Um, Derek, yours doesn't have to be 1,000 square foot. It doesn't have to be 90 square foot. It does sound like what you have right now might be a little too large. That's why I, I know what I do when I have something going on in my life. I look at the most uh, uh, extreme option that is opposite of my current life. But you don't have to go extreme, man. If your house is too big, that doesn't mean you have to move into a tiny house. But certainly, Derek, yes, uh, if, if moving into a smaller house is going to help you do that. But don't don't put a constraint on yourself that is going to disrupt uh, not just your life, but but the people whose life you are in control over, your daughters mainly, uh, you know, you don't want to disrupt her life either. So constraints are great until they start to disrupt your life. Yeah, that's that's great. And or or disrupt your life. Uh, disruption can be good, right? Sure. Uh, but if, if they disrupt your life so much that it calls pain or suffering, that's when it's a problem. Because maybe what Derek needs here is a bit of a disruption. Mm. Because he's living this life. And by the way, thank you for doing what you do. I know we always say that to like people in the military and stuff, which is great. But but he is an appliance repair person. And we definitely need people like that. Because yes. It, it keeps us from like, go, oh, I'm going to go out to you know, wherever and buy the new washer and dryer because this one little $40 piece broke on this thing and I don't want to pay for an hour worth of service. No, 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 no. There, there are people like you that, that prevent us from consuming unnecessarily. So you're actually doing some good in the world while you're waiting to live your most ideal life. But this can also be part of your life. The, the, the last thing that actually maybe two things here we'll see uh but the last things that i want to talk about here is in the meantime let's say you want to just enjoy your city or where you're at or maybe it's just long weekends or if you have split custody it's week on week off maybe you work that out and so you can go explore for a week and then you come back and you live this uh and maybe you're like well i but i still have to work 40 hours a week okay maybe you have to work 80 hours this week mm -hmm. so you can have next week off and go explore the world the country go to indianapolis even you know explore your own town and 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 take advantage of the current constraints you have because explore the Midwest might be the option for you at the time, but man, the Midwest is pretty awesome. I know because we spent the first 31 years of our lives there and, and you can, you can explore within your current constraints. Last example there was uh, Leo Babalta. I meant to mention him as well. He's from Guam. His family's from Guam. He and his wife have six kids, two of which are from their marriage, two of which are from his ex or from his wife's previous marriage two of which are from his previous marriage they have six kids together but it's like a whole uh, brady bunch right mm -hmm. now in order for him to move to san francisco and he's written about this in the past uh, you all know leo from our documentary minimalism but also from uh, his website zenhabits.net encourage you to check that out he's a great writer 
But um, he has six kids. In order for them to all move to San Francisco, he had to find a way to convince not just his wife and their kids to move and make that uh, appealing to them, but make it appealing to former spouses so they would also move from Guam to San Francisco. Man, talk about... uh, not not possible. I could never do it. I can't come up with anything. He made it happen. If Leo can do that with six kids and former spouses and make it work, then so can you, Derek. And I, I feel really good about that. What about, um, Derek, too, what about homeschooling? Because I know that my sister, she started homeschooling uh, my my dad's kid. Um, he, him, he had one more after him and my mom, my mom split up. So they were able to travel. Uh, she was able to um, put time into a couple other programs she wanted to because uh, she was homeschooled. She started being homeschooled about, I think, seventh grade, maybe eighth grade. Um, I don't know how viable that is, Derek. Just helping you brainstorm here. Well, and I, Leo actually does that with some of his kids. So he yeah. gives them the choice of public school versus, I mean, they call it unschooling, mm-hmm. which is a version of, of homeschooling, basically. Um, and actually, he's written about it. Sean, let's put a link to his unschooling essay that he, he wrote about how he's parenting his kids. I think that will be helpful for Derek. So we'll put that in the show notes for you as well. Derek, last thing I'd love to send you is a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. It's a story of, well, it's a story of prioritization in a way. Because we had these supposedly ideal lives. In a world with priorities gone wild. (laughs) Our next documentary, Priorities Gone Wild. (laughs) Joshua and Ryan visit South Beach. Um, Sorry. (laughs) It just, uh, then it flashes to like an image of you in a a thong bikini. Of course. Walking down South Beach. (laughs) Anyway, um, it is a story of prioritization because Ryan and I had these perfect lives, ostensibly perfect from the outside, but it certainly was not ideal. And that's because our priorities were out of whack. And, and, And really what we're talking to you about today, Derek, is... What are your priorities and then how can we really how can we really make sure that we want those priorities enough? How can we get enough leverage? And everything that remains is the story of that five year journey of letting go of our current lives, of the life of excess and consumerism and and uh, status and supposed success and walking toward a more uh, a more fulfilling life a, a life that was filled with good habits and routines and meaningful relationships and creativity and also involved moving and touring and seeing the country and traveling more than we ever had but also being grounded in what uh in the people that we wanted to be And so I think you'll find a lot of value in everything that remains, Derek. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. But if you could send him an audio book version of that or a book book or ebook, if if that's what he wants, and we'll send those off to you. All right, if you're listening to this, and uh, of course, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a comment or a tip about constraints or restraints, um, Bex and I are always looking for good sex toy advice. Or if you have any advice for any of our callers today, then (laughs) leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. We'll air our favorite comments and tips at the end of a future episode, including the end of this episode as well. You can stay tuned uh, for 
comments and tips from our listeners as well. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is, Josh. It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Minimalist. During the lightning round, Ryan and I each do our best to answer every question with just a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. And now you can find all of our quotes in one place minimalmaxims.com thank you to Jess for curating our thousand plus quotes over there at minimalmaxims.com alright our first question is from Kiara what constraints have you implemented in your life to help your life as a minimalist well, so I liked this question because it was a very broad question, so it allowed me to give a broad, tweetable answer here. I, I know. It's funny. I love the broad questions for that reason, too, man. Because, because You can give broad answers. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> or you can get really detailed if you want to, too. So you have, all, you have a plethora of options here, right? <laughs> so her question really allowed me to re... Uh, define minimalism in a way. And I've been struggling with this for, for three or four years now, ever since meeting Ella, who will be turning five this month. God help us all. Because she'll say, what is minimalism? And like, I'm trying to explain, explaining minimalism to a four-year-old and a two-year-old, especially when she was two, trying to explain it to her was difficult, but it's helped me sort of, sort of work out my material in front of, you know, how do I, you know, uh, how do I explain this in a way that everyone can understand it and I think this is one way maybe a four-year-old isn't going to understand but I think this is another way to think about minimalism so my short answer is this Kiara minimalism is a life of well curated constraints so some constraints are good too many constraints might be bad but if we curate our constraints we choose our constraints carefully well then we're going to live a well-lived life absolutely man uh, Kiara, here's what I'd say. Every impulse is a potential pothole on the road to a meaningful life. So, you know, what constraints do I have? They they really they really are uh, geared towards my impulses. I If I didn't have constraints on TV, I'd sit there and drool on myself, and I would just sit there and watch reruns of The Office and Seinfeld and Friends and all the other shows that I love to drool drool too there's a lot of drooling yeah hey you're a fan of drooling too man. i drool a lot but mine's, <laughs> mine's unintentional <laughs> Yours is, and mine's intentional yeah yeah Inten- i guess in a way it is intentional intentional drooling.com it's but, ryan's new blog but you know it's funny it, it just to think about so we're talking about how constraints can help people live a meaningful life but there are uh, th- there are constraints we could put on ourselves that will prevent us from living a meaningful life. Mm. And I think giving in to every impulse we have, that is the biggest constraint that we could have when it comes to living a meaningful life. Does that make sense? Yeah, so what you're saying is that if if we act on impulse, we're acting like a child. I mean, we're going to run out in traffic. We're going we're gonna to drive grandma's suburban around the neighborhood and crash into cars. And Because what was the other thing that kid said in that video? He said... Uh, it's fun to do bad things. Yeah. Yeah, guess what? It's fun to do bad things. And 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 that's ultimately what you're saying. Yeah, it's fun to do bad things, but bad things don't ever lead to a meaningful life. It's the opposite. It's a, it's a life of impulse. It's not a meaningful life. All right, our next question is from Joshua Hook. He's been he's been on fire with these questions. I was going to say, man, this I is think like this his is second third, or, it's his second third, or third I think. Yeah. yeah. All right, Joshua Hook. How can we determine what constraints are in our best interests? I know for me, I have a tendency to dislike constraints and chafe against them, 
even if they are in my best interests? So my short answer to that is constraints are useful only when they increase our freedom. Yeah, we were just talking about how too many constraints can absolutely prevent us from living a meaningful life. Right, right. We we don't want to just deprive ourselves of TV or deprive ourselves of whatever it may be that's interfering with our life just for the sake of deprivation. Right, unless you're just doing it as a short-term experiment. So I'll talk real quick. Uh, Joshua Hook about some of the things I've let go of. Sometimes I will put up a, a temporary time period. So a few of the things that uh, the sort of magic tricks that I've done as, as a minimalist or becoming a minimalist, I got rid of TV for nine years. Uh, and then we moved into this new apartment in, in Los Angeles and it had the previous tenant left this giant TV on the wall. And now I feel like, okay, I've over the last nine years shaped a habit around that constraint so I can bring it back into my life more intentionally. In fact, we watched Westworld on it last night, which was which was a great TV show. And, and But um, we we do appointment viewing now. We don't just sit down and, and, and binge watch stuff. Now, uh, I got rid of my cell phone for two months and when I brought it back into my life, finally I realized like that constraint was deprivation. And I realized like when I bring it back in, I can use it differently. I don't have to have Twitter and Instagram and email on my phone, but I can use it to make phone calls or send text messages or GPS or listen to podcasts or listen to music or however I want to use the phone, but use it in a more intentional way. So sometimes those constraints help us, temporary constraints help us identify how to use our things, our tools uh, in, in a more intentional way. Also, a few other things I did, I got rid of home internet for five years and that made me more productive, but also reshaped my habits in a way that I didn't expect. And we've written about all these things on the website. So Sean, if you can put a link to the at least those three things I just talked about there. Last thing I got rid of, another constraint I, I put in my life, I got rid of goals. And I did that for 100 days. And uh, in fact, I didn't even do it for 100 days at first. Uh, Our friend Leo Babalta, um, he wrote about it. And so I said, oh, I'm going to give up goals for 100 days because um, uh, I'm going to give up goals. I don't know how for how long because I don't want it to be a goal. And that constraint helped me realize that the work we put in, our standards are much greater than our expectations. Mm. Our standards get us farther than our expectations do. Mm. And so those are a few constraints. Maybe living without goals for a period of time is a type of constraint that will better serve your creativity or what you want to accomplish. It makes me think about um, this gentleman. I was I was doing a podcast interview at this festival uh, back in February, right before we took off for Australia. But after the podcast interview, this gentleman came up to me and he was like, dude, you know, I really am a fan of your you know, documentary and, and, and I love the podcast and stuff. He's like, I, I just need some advice on as, as a musician, like, what do I do to how do I use minimalism to help me be a better musician? And I was like, well, what, what, what do you see as your problem right now? He's like, well, I know how to play guitar. I know how to play this instrument, that instrument, the bongos, da, da, da. I'm like, which one are you an expert at? Oh, I'm not an expert at any of them. Ah. I, just, I just know how to play all of them. I'm like, okay. I was like, uh, do you like to sing? He's like, oh, yeah, man, I love to sing. I was like, okay, why don't you see what you can do with your voice? Mm. Just use your voice. Mm. And then he's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, and if there's another instrument you need to bring in, then bring in that instrument. Yeah, like slowly introducing things. Yeah, yeah it, it reminded me of this metaphor. It just popped in my head diving deep on one thing we we know there are people who are deep sea divers Mm -hmm. i've never heard of a wide sea diver (laughs) that's really good man yeah it's absolutely true man i uh i i i I was really encouraged to hear say say like yeah man you know what i'm gonna stop playing all my instruments for a month and just use my voice 
And he was like, if I feel like I need to bring in another uh, instrument after this month, I'll do that. Yeah. He's like, but if I'm, you know, get some really good stuff going with my voice and I feel good about that, mm. then I'm just going to continue using my voice. But just the perfect example of how, yeah, you throw a little constraint on there and you start to think of uh, your situation a little bit differently. That's definitely a helpful constraint. My, my, uh, my answer to you is this, Joshua Hook. Continuously avoiding things we dislike stunts our growth yes yeah so he's talking about how he has a he has a a tendency to dislike constraints and he avoids them essentially is what he's saying uh if you avoid everything that you dislike um you're probably gonna probably gonna live a pretty banal life yeah and you're gonna feel uh probably like you're not living the most meaningful life possible yeah if you nerf your world you're never going to develop the calluses necessary to create something meaningful damn that was pithy sean you better write that one down All right, and we have one more question here. This question is from Savani. Savani asks, how can there be an upside to constraint? All I say is give me loads of money so I can find out if it truly doesn't work. Now, what Savani is alluding to here is in our documentary, Jim Carrey has a quote in there. It says, everyone knows money doesn't buy happiness, but everyone wants to try it out for themselves just to find out, right? And... Okay, we have a really good answer. At least I think I have a good answer for this. Uh, We'll expand on it a lot. But if you want to hear my answer and Ryan's answer to that question, you can listen to this week's Postscript episode over at the Minimalist Private Podcast, which is exclusive to our Patreon supporters. That's that's why it's private. So if uh, you want to support our show and if you want to help keep this podcast 100% advertisement free then head on over to the minimalists.com slash support uh, also in addition to our weekly postscript episodes which we put up every wednesday the minimalist private podcast feed includes our monthly ask the minimalists anything episode so we interact with our patreon supporters and they can ask us literally anything they want also unreleased recordings of all of our live events in fact uh, we're putting up sydney this month and i think ryan your favorite event of the whole tour last year was probably melbourne not melbourne yeah, yeah melbourne the, the first, first melbourne the first melbourne was but, my favorite only because the one gal in there was just hilarious <laughs> yeah i mean she was just like and our answer was was so good oh my gosh uh in fact there would be a really funny title for that episode that i, I can't say right now but uh how about we do melbourne exclusively to our, for our patreon supporters next month okay because each month we were putting out these live events just for our patreon supporters i know that was your favorite we already put out my my favorite episode live episode mine was from edmonton last year um which is on our main feed oh episode. i thought you were talking about our from the australian leg the that first melbourne was stop was definitely my favorite what was your favorite australian stop my favorite australian stop was probably sydney yeah, cool. so so which we put out this month. So uh, if you want recordings of all of our live events, that goes also goes up in the Minimalist Private Podcast feed. And uh, oh, once you become a, a supporter, you also receive a personal link to that podcast feed. So it shows up right there in your podcast player, whatever you're listening to this podcast on right now. So you don't have to get on the internet and, and log into some website every single time you want to listen to this. It shows up right there on your phone regularly, just if you're a supporter of the show. And also as a Patreon supporter, you also receive access to our monthly live stream videos, as well as first access to tickets to all of our live events before those tickets are available to the public. And the entire back catalog of all of our past private podcast episodes. You can find all the details and good stuff over at theminimalists.com slash support. And if you want a little snippet, here's a, a snippet from this week's Postscript episode. 
I am all for money. Money helps us as a resource. Just like time is a resource, attention is a resource, relationships can be a resource in our life. Um, the, the assets, physical goods are all resources. The question is, how do we use those resources? And if we are irresponsible with the few resources we have, we don't have a lot of money and we're irresponsible with that little bit of money, what are we going to do when we get a lot of money? It's going to amplify our irresponsibility. Mm-hmm. We're going to be less responsible with more money. And how do I know this? Because all of my 20s, that's exactly what I did. I grew up really poor, realized, well, at least thought I realized that, oh, we're not happy because we don't have any money. So let's go make some money. I, I went out and got the entry level corporate sales job, started making good money and then better money and then better money. But I always spent more money than I made. I was irresponsible. And it turns out the reason I was discontented growing up is I made bad, well, my family made bad decisions with the few resources we had. And then I continued to amplify those bad decisions with more money. However, now that we are in our 30s and moving toward 40, money has become a resource uh, with which we can do good. All right, and we're back. And if you want to hear that full conversation, you can become a patron over at theminimalists.com. Okay, now it's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we each talk about something that has added value to our lives recently. Ryan, what's added value to your life recently? Oh, dude, I got one of those new albums uh, that are old to recommend to you. One of those old new albums. Yeah. Or is it the new old? The new old album? Yeah. I think it's old new album. Okay. Because it's new to me. Uh-huh. No, there's a, a band called Milky Chance. Uh a group you said it might be one guy i don't i don't really know if it's I, I one think, or two guys i think it's one or two guys i accidentally went to one of their concerts mm-hmm. i was at south by southwest in 2015 did you like it i i loved the the show and i i know the the hit song they have i forget the title of it, the, that first big hit that they had and uh the live show was solid man nice no they have a uh i think it's from last year uh they have an album called blossom um People are probably listening to me right now like, duh, yeah, that's an awesome album. But if you haven't heard of this album, Uh uh, I just found it, again, like just from listening to like picking a radio station or a playlist and then a song comes on and I'm like, oh, who's this band? And then I look them up and like they've been around forever. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Have you guys heard of the Rolling Stones? Oh my God, so many awesome (laughs) hits. I have have, uh, three things that are added value to my life, but they all sort of pertain to this this idea of constraints. One is a constraint I've added uh, onto myself that has improved my sleep significantly over the last few months. And I know because sometimes I slip up and I don't put this constraint on myself and it hurts my sleep. So I do no liquids after 5 p.m. I don't drink any liquids after 5 p.m. Some days I try to push it as close to 3 p.m. as possible. Now, I fully hydrate. That's why I just had to take a, a bathroom break. Sean, Podcast Sean such a good editor. You don't even know that I just took a bathroom break a moment ago. In fact, I'm peeing my pants right now. Hot? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so I I um, I stopped drinking liquids after 5 p.m. And that way I don't have to get up in the middle of the night and use the bathroom, right? And for me, I, for whatever, I saw a tweet the other day. I said, I just turned 40 and now my, congratulations, uh, my bladder is now the size of a shot glass. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm since I'm steamrolling towards forty for whatever reason, I feel like I always have to get up in the middle of the night and pee, and and so now I don't if I don't drink any liquid. So that's a, a a constraint that improves my life. But throughout the day, I'm constantly drinking a ton of water up until then, so I make sure I'm not dehydrated. Uh, I, I drink a lot of water, and it forces me to just have a a a window of constraint where I'm I'm staying fully hydrated. So that's one constraint that has certainly added value to my life. It's helped me sleep better. Uh, one other uh, recommendation or just thing that has added value to my life, Matt Carney's new album just came out. Yeah. And the reason that... It's called Crazy Talk. Mm-hmm. And the reason that... It, I mean, it's been out, kind of. Sort of. He Half of it's out, been out. Yeah, he, he was putting out one song at a time for a while. Uh, like He put out, what, five or six singles before the album came out. And I think it's 13 tracks now. He has a beautiful cover of Sade. My mom used to always listen to, to Sade when we were growing up. And uh, he does a, a great cover of, of one of Sade's songs. But um, the whole album's great. But the reason Constraints came to mind with this album, Crazy Talk, is this is his first independent release. So he left his major record label. He built a studio in his own house. He doesn't have the big budget. In fact, I read... It's like one of his best albums ever, man. Absolutely. And, and that's that's the, the point. So he, I, I read this article. He said... I'm, for my first album, nothing, uh, nothing left to lose. He said that was re- independent, right? No, no. Oh, okay. re- re- the record company spent two hundred fifty dollars, two hundred fifty thousand dollars just on the video. Oh wow! The first video to the first single was two hundred fifty thousand dollars. He said, "I don't spend that much on recording and marketing the entire album now." You know, company record companies used to spend millions of dollars to make albums like this, but now he has his own tiny recording studio at his house, and he's independent. And he's made this album with those constraints has actually made the album better. And he's evolved too. The thing I love about, about Matt Carney's music is it's always emphatically Matt Carney, but it always reflects a time period within his life. He's, somehow simultaneously and paradoxically stays true to his sound while his sound evolves. It, it it sounds like that's impossible, but he does it. it. It's like he doesn't take a such a far leap that like where Dylan went electronic or whatever, but he progresses enough that it's far away uh, from his previous album. That each album is its own body of work, has its own sound, and I think the constraints on this album in particular made the album more contemporary, but also uh, forced him to get more creative with the fewer resources that he had. That totally reminds me uh, about, um, I think I recommended Frank Turner not too long ago. His full album just came out either today or yesterday. I was so happy. Because like the new way that they're releasing records, man, it's just, or albums, it drives me crazy. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's very singles driven, which people think is new, but it's actually, you know, that's a a 60s and 70s and 50s thing, right? People just, uh, it was all, you know, seven inch singles. And and now we're in a weird way gone back to the seven inch, except it's a four inch phone upon which we listen to these, these endless singles, right? And because also there's a lot of, talk about a constraint, fewer resources go into making a single and you can make a hundred singles. And if one of them hits, all of a sudden you're touring for two years off of that one single. Unbelievable. Right now, personally, I'm more of an album guy, and I, I know you, you're an album guy as well, Ryan. So check out Crazy Talk from Matt Carney. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And last but not least, since we're talking about constraints, to me, the best constraint there is is honesty. <laughs> so honesty is the best constraint. There's a great book called Lying by Sam Harris. It'll take you an hour to read. In fact, if you listen to it on audiobook, um, it's an hour and 15 minute audiobook, and that's with a Q and a, he does at the end of it. So it's like having a podcast episode, basically 
it's one of the the most concise and and clearly written screeds about why not to lie under any circumstance mm. and, and, unless lying is becomes self-defense but then of course it's not lying you know if, if you're someone's at your door and they're a murderer and you know are you home you're not going to say well yes i'm home please kill me but but uh he gives you an example even around things that are controversial like santa claus and he he presents a great answer as to why not to lie to your kids about santa claus but how you can still present the myth of santa claus in a way that's what we do with ella in fact uh you you've seen this because we went down to rodeo drive this year with ella and like she sat on santa's lap she believes santa's real even though i tell her he's not real and we explain well she saw him at the mall that's what she says to me <laughs> i said i said but but yeah she, i'm like but you know santa's just made up it's just a guy in a costume she goes no josh i i saw him at the mall <laughs> and i'm like yeah yeah but he's just a man in a costume i said if i dressed up like peppa pig would i be peppa pig she's like well no <laughs> I said, well, that's that, that's what some people do. They'll dress up like Santa Claus. She goes, okay, but I saw him at the mall. <laughs> so, so no, I mean, I, I make sure that uh, I've never lied to Ella, and and uh, it's one of the things I'm most proud of because I, I know that uh, if I want her to be able to trust me, then I can't lie about some things and then expect that she's going to believe me with respect to other things, right? Absolutely. Sometimes telling the truth is difficult, but Sam Harris presents some ways in that book, Lying, and it's a, uh, I, in fact, I bought it for a friend who's going through a tough time with with, with uh, some experiences that he's had recently, and um, it just made me go back and re-listen to the audiobook version, because Bex had never listened to it. We were, we were driving out to Joshua Tree this weekend, and she found a lot of value in it as well. It was the first uh, book she, of, of Sam Harris's she had been exposed to, and I think it's a great place to start with, with uh, his work as well all right let's move on to right here right now is where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists well uh we have a photo of our new podcast studio up on our instagram page if you want to check that out we'll put a link to that in the show notes we're just at the minimalists on instagram and we have a photo tour i'm sorry a video tour of the new podcast studio coming soon on Patreon for our Patreon supporters. Since it is you fine folks who have helped us build this new podcast studio and are funding the soon-to-be video version of this podcast. So if you want to subscribe to the video version of this podcast, just head on over to youtube.com slash The Minimalists. Also, I'm teaching a writing class coming up June 24th. Just twice a year, I, I do a two-hour workshop on how to write better. So most of you know I, I teach a four-week writing class online, and uh, you can check that out over at howtowritebetter.org. But I know some of you don't have the, the resources or the time, the money, or the attention to spend four weeks on a writing class. So what I try to do is tweeze out some of my favorite ingredients from that four-week class and make it so you can at least get started on how to write better, how to improve your writing after this two-hour workshop. It's a standalone, independent workshop, and you can find that over at theminimalists.com slash workshop. It's called How to Write Better, a two-hour workshop. And what we'll do is it's a live workshop, but if you can't attend the live version, we'll have the, the video available afterwards. So you, you'll have... Uh, access in perpetuity to the the recorded video. But if you are on that workshop, we'll also be doing a Q&A at the end of it so I can answer some of your writing questions. That's June 24th, theminimalists.com slash workshop. And if you want to receive any new writings on our website or if you want to get the show notes that you always hear us talking about, 
at the end of every episode, then we'll send those right to your email inbox. Just go to theminimalists.com, enter your email address at the top. We'll also send you any news about our new documentary that we're working on once we have more details about that. Also, any new tour stops that we announce in the future or events that we have with The Minimalists Live, then you will be one of the first people to know over at theminimalists.com. Enter your email address there. We'll never send you any spam or anything you don't want, though, because that stuff's gross. Ryan, you got anything else for us? Finally, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, my name is Nina from Little Rock, Arkansas, and this is regarding your school's episode. I really enjoy listening to this episode. As a parent of two soon-to-be school-age kids, I have found myself researching educational options and came across homeschooling and how statistically homeschooled kids learn better because there are less stressors that are associated with what we know as traditional education. There is more flexibility with pursuing personal interests as well as the ability to learn at the child's pace rather than preparing for exams. Since I am an active duty military member, I have had the option to pass my GI Bill to my kids. So they have secured funds to attend college if they choose to do so. But if they don't attend, I have come to the realization that I am okay with that. As long as I am able to cultivate a lifelong desire to learn, I feel I would have met my intent. My mindset on college has shifted as well. Considering that emotional intelligence is far more valuable than a degree, than a degree, like you said in the podcast, how many people have degrees and how many attend college for the social reasons? Life itself is a classroom. With such an emphasis on academics, a lot of soft skills are not developed. And I have found through homeschooling options, there is a development of the whole child, not just academically. So those soft skills are developed exponentially because they are learning via real life interactions, not a classroom environment. As my husband and I approach retirement from the military, we have agreed to prepare for a less hectic and less stressful life and to homeschool and possibly world school and learn from the very real world that we have around us. Hi, I recently had a little uh, accidental discovery about decluttering and kids and toys, and I know you guys get asked about that all the time, so I thought it might be helpful if I shared my experience. Uh, as a rule of thumb, I really haven't done much or don't do much with my kids with minimalism. I try to you know, show them, model for them, and talk to them about you know, why I have less stuff or the decisions we make about things in our house, but I haven't decluttered them in any real way. I've sort of resigned myself to living with kid clutter. However, about a month ago, we had some work done on the house, and we got dust everywhere, including all over their toys. And I, So I took all their toys to the basement with the intention of cleaning them off and bringing them back up. I didn't have a ton of time right then, so I initially just cleaned off a couple of their favorites. I brought them back and just told the kids that you know their toys were coming and that um, if they needed any toys in the meantime, if there's anything particularly wanted, they could ask me for it, and I would go clean it off and bring it to them. Uh, that was about a month ago, and I have occasionally been asked for a toy here or there, but for the most part 80% of their toys have been in the basement and they're not bored and they're not complaining and there's a lot less clutter in the house and they might have even learned something so I had an accidental packing party with my kids toys and it worked. Hi my name's Eloise I'm from Melbourne Australia um, I wanted to thank you very much for touching on food and its association with minimalism uh, I've struggled for many 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 years with an eating disorder um, and have been recovering now for about two years um, and this is about the same time same amount of time that I've been investing my energy into minimalism um, so today when I was listening to your podcast I realized just how big of an impact minimalism has had on 
my ability to recover from bulimia. Um, I sat down after listening to the podcast and I made a really long list about how it has positively impacted my recovery. Um, And it's long. (laughs) But the most prominent thing I can think of is uh, being more aware of the waste, the waste, uh, the wasted time, the wasted energy, the wasted food, the wasted thought processes. Um, I've wasted so much of my life on my eating disorder. Um, Your podcast has helped me purge the things from my life that led me to feel overwhelmed and out of control and those were the things that led me to my eating disorder all right y'all that's it for this episode if you have a question for the minimalists give us a call 406-219-7839 you can also email a voice memo to podcast at the minimalists.com and if you leave here with just one message we hope it's this love people and use things because the opposite never works Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear